Welcome back to the big show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, episode 74, and as always, we are the pastors. Christopher Gillespie. I'm here. And I am Donovan Riley. What's the purpose of this show, by the way? Do we have a mission statement? Uh, I think we did originally. I thought it was in the title. <laughs> well, it is, I suppose, right? I mean, As Lutheran. I could quote the, you quote the mission of higher things from the website, or what is the purpose of this show? Uh, no, we had that. We had like a purpose statement. Well, and you know, how does it fulfill the mission of higher things and all those kind that of questions? too, right? It's a multivalent. Question. Uh, actually, we never did kind of have like a purpose statement. We just said we. Oh no, it de- delves deep into the deep tracks, B sides, and basement tapes of our Lutheran fathers. Oh, that's right. That's nice. Which would explain why we're reading Dr. Norman Nagel's doctoral thesis on Luther uh, understanding of Christ and Lord's Supper. Yeah, this is like the pizza tapes from the Grateful Dead, right? Right. Oh, that was really deep. That was very, very deep. Was it great for them? Well, I think it was just I, it was just some of them, right? They were doing that mm-hmm. jamming. Dropped in and out. And, yeah. And then the whole legend of the tapes got snuck out in a pizza box. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's like the basement tapes with Dylan and the band. Oh, that's and true too, yeah. It was such a legendary experience. And then for years, everyone thought, oh, we'll never get to hear those. And then they published them eventually because they found them. Mm-hmm. And people listen to them, and the diehard fans went, this is astounding stuff. But most people were, you know, end up saying, yeah, it sounds like a jam session. Right, except um, that's really how most of America was introduced to something like Woody Guthrie. Like, True. They, they didn't know it until you just hear Dylan mm-hmm. and the band just... Yep. singing through all the stuff that he you know grew up singing right yeah that's true or hearing so we're going to dive back into nagel this week as we stated and again this is luther's understanding of christ in the lord's supper by dr nagel from his doctoral thesis and we're going to dive in on page 178 if you would like to purchase this book you can find it on lulu link in the show notes and we'll link it up again so let's dive in uh dr nagel writes The words of Christ make the testament, while the bread and wine are the sacrament or sign. There you go. There it is. Yeah. Right? As simple as it gets. Yeah, it was just like with Melanchthon. We love these, like, brief, concise. I, I, you know, we got one sentence in, the nootropics have kicked in, as I said before we hit record, that I quote this kind of stuff in Bible study, in catechism class, mm. all the time. Because it's and memorable. Just in pastoral conversation. Because right? it's memorable, exactly. And it's simple. And if I say to a lay person who doesn't read theology regularly or at all, the words of institution that are passed down to us from Christ make the testament. His last will and testament. The bread and the wine are the sign. No matter how you prepare the bread and the wine, you know, you stamp it with a cross on it and that somehow makes it his body, sure. body or right. use red wine so it's blood. And that's not the point. That's not, no. that's not what makes the thing what it is. Which is interesting then, because we just actually had a conversation similar to this yesterday in adult Bible study, that we take the sign and turn it into the thing. The thing yeah. And then we take his words and turn that into the sign. We flip it. Hmm. Which is off, this is Augustine's famous line, right? The fruit versus the one who gives the fruit is that we take the fruit and worship it as if it's the the tree, so to speak. Ah, yeah. God gives us these gifts and then we end up worshiping the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. I guess I'm kind of riffing on the, I think it's Augustine too, the definition was it race and race signata, right? Yeah, right. The, the yes, thing exactly. and the thing signified. Yeah. And that's the, th- we are naturally old Adam sinners that we are, we are naturally bent toward the material. Mm. What can I get my hands around? Because we can control <laughs> that. Yeah. But the words of Christ, I don't really have any control unless I can actually manipulate my own tongue 
Or right. Or if you just manipulate them. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying, though, is in a physical sense, in a material sense, the words of Christ, because they're immaterial until they are spoken in relation to the sign, I, I can, as you and I both know, and I've experienced over the past summer going to different um, uh, worship, churches for worship while I've been on vacation, when I hear a pastor riff on the words of institution, mm. I know I'm in the wrong church <laughs> for me. I don't need you to riff on the words of our of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I need you to just simply announce them. That's yeah. your job, actually. Yeah. It's in your call papers. You and I are pious enough to recognize, and we've talked about this before, you know, that we do want to convey some sense, some emotional sense reverence. With it. Yeah, I guess we call it reverence. That's true. Uh, and it really does bug me, like when somebody just speaks them very quickly as if they don't matter. Well, that we could go back then to the late medieval priest's recitation of the mass that Luther himself complains about, yeah. which is they, they just spoke it. the words. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they spoke that so quickly because they didn't actually understand the words they were saying. Mm -hmm. So they would simply, and you're getting paid to do these masses, for example, the private masses. So Efficiency the more you counts, do, the more. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so they would just shred the entire mass in under five minutes because they could. But you didn't understand a word they were saying. Even if you could understand the Latin, you couldn't understand them. They were speaking. I mean, admittedly, so fast. that's impressive. But oh, five very minutes. much so. Can you imagine doing DS three in the LSB in five minutes or less? That's astounding. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I talk fast, but that's that's remarkable. Yeah. <clears throat> but nonetheless, Christ makes the testament while the bread and wine are the sacrament. Therefore, don't mess with the words of institution. Mm-hmm. As I said, say repeatedly to my people, the fact that we still have the words of institution 2,000 years later is a sign that there is a God because <laughs> we'll mess up anything given enough time. We'll play with it, manipulate it, and turn it into something else. Well, that's Luther's point in saying, you know, this is, that's how God preserved the gospel through, mm -hmm. through the, um, the lean years <laughs> of what we right. call medieval uh, Roman Catholicism, right? Where it's... The, the gospel was in the words of institution it was and they right. retained it in the mass even though you couldn't yep. hear it the words right. were there um and it is the word that that's the word that preserves the church right jesus right. preserves the church by speaking right which is why the radical reformers rejected luther on this point because they mm. rejected anything that smelled of rome so they yeah. said no there was no church during the middle ages for example whereas luther and the lutherans said no wherever the verba was Wherever the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in Jesus' name. And faith in those words. And faith in those words, the church exists. As, but yeah, as you said, maybe it's a trickle, a remnant. It's still there. It's still the 7,000 in Israel. Yeah, it's in the basement in the uh, bottom file cabinet drawer. But right. it's still there. Right, exactly. So then Nagel continues, the mass is above all the divine promise or testament of Christ secured with his own body and blood. I think we could dedicate a podcast to each sentence right now. <laughs> That's so fat. <laughs> the mass is above all the divine promise or testament. So what is a testament? It's God's divine, it's God's promise. Mm -hmm. Correct. That Jesus has secured so that you know it's true and valid. Why? Because it's his own body and blood that have secured this promise. Right. And this, you know, this is a, I guess using the word testament, we'd say it's a legally binding promise. 
It's not right. It's not that kind of fickle or fake promises that we make, like on television, right? Where where mm-hmm. the cop says to the to the victim, "Oh, I promise I'll find your killer" or something like that. Right. You know, they, yes. And that's it's such a trope. Everybody knows. Don't make don't right. make those promises. You can't keep that kind of promise. No. There's only one thing that I can promise with absolute certainty, which is the blood and blood of Jesus will be for you come Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now I might not be there. You might not be there but the body and blood will be there mm. because God will send a preacher. True. Cause he promised it and he sealed that promise with his. Exactly. Doubt. Yeah. Right. So the bread and wine are affirmed because scripture speaks of them and the words of God are not to be trifled with or emptied of their meaning. Thank you very much. Dr. Nagel mm-hmm. quoting Dr. Luther do not trifle with or empty the words of their meaning, meaning do not riff on the words of institution. Do not paraphrase the words of institution the words make it a sacrament we do um just as a side note um yeah. practically is that we we speak the words as they're given to us by saint paul which Correct. is a little bit of a conflation of of the gospel accounts mm-hmm. um yeah Good so point. i mean I, I think somebody could say well yeah but you're not saying them exactly like he says them in i don't know you pick your gospel right mm-hmm. and he's like, okay true enough but as far as our like liturgical practice um we reflect on the apostles right right the apostolic church and here's how paul mm-hmm. says this is what you this is what what we're saying right these are the words that are being spoken in if you want to use their mass or divine service or whatever yeah in the church in corinth you know the mm-hmm. words right right so then so we just continue with those that that version i suppose mm-hmm. kind of like the lord's prayer though right like which which version do you use right that's true too yes i guess we use the matthew version i think more than the luke yeah Mm -hmm. we don't say debts we say trespasses correct so the bread and wine are affirmed because scripture speaks of them and the Mm -hmm. words of god are not to be trifled with or emptied of their meaning they are to be taken in their grammatical (laughs) and literal sense unless the context plainly forbids well there's your point Mm -hmm. however bread and wine do not figure here as in ein Sermon von dem hochwürdigen Sacrament des Heiligen Waren Lichnams Christi. Good job. N- nailed it. <laughs> Stuck the landing. You're right. Cold that's, all like, that's all like the triple backflip, whatever twisted landing thing. I just saw that last night. <sighs> that what's her face? That gymnast. Yeah, she did a double backflip, or no, double back cartwheel thing double flip <laughs> twist in the air plants the landing off the pommel horse or whatever that balance beam sorry yeah yeah gabby is uh, gabby uh, whatever she's our she's our gal i guess yeah but anyways no i watched that and yeah my son comes in and goes dad why are you watching gymnastics because <laughs> this is one way that some people die <laughs> right that too i'm like hey it's like a she's train, watching a train it's amazing right nailed it there you go nailed it so there the significance of the mass was communio while here it is the forgiveness of sins. Mm. That's a very important point, actually. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the mass was communio, the communion of saints, the congregation, the assembly. Right. The the mystic body gathered around the body. And by the way, sacrifice by the community through the priest before God. Yeah, something we do together with one another, primarily. Right, we we are re-sacrificing Christ in the mass. That's why it's referred to as the sacrifice of the mass. Correct. Whereas here, for Luther, it's the forgiveness of sins. This shows Luther's concentration here on the verba, which is so great that he speaks of the body and blood as the external sign. 
And again, this is a very important point because I, uh, the influence of Protestantism, for example, on mm -hmm. modern Lutherans is the same thing Luther and the Lutherans are arguing against in relation to the late medieval Romans, which is what are we doing in quote unquote communion? Well, it's about us gathering around the elements and we make it what it is. Yeah. What it is. And modern, and I've been to plenty of Lutheran churches where this is taught. Where communion, it's not the communion of Christ um, joining himself to bread and wine, but it's actually no. us joining with one another and maybe with Jesus right. too. We'll just think right. that. Yeah. And when we read Ehlert on Eucharistic fellowship in the first four centuries, this mm. is Ehlert's point too of we don't all get together at the Lord's table and then eventually our doctrinal differences will work themselves out. Ehlert transferred, or translated by Nagel, by the way. <laughs> right, by the way. <laughs> there you go. But rather, the goal of our doctrinal mm. debates or conversations is to get together at the Lord's table. In the forgiveness of sins. In the forgiveness of sins. So we don't get together and then say, well, this is kind of like magic. And so if we're, if we're communing together, then we must not have really big differences. Oh, Verse, really? Yeah. yeah. You, re you reject that the body and blood of Jesus are under the bread and wine, and I don't. That might be a significant difference. So we might put it this way, you're getting the sign ahead of the sign, the thing that's signified, right? Exactly. It yep. needs to be what is signified. That has to be the priority. Right. And, and the sign follows. Yes. Right? Yeah. So in the forgiveness of sins, forgiving one another, then, or confessing together, you know, mm -hmm. the truth, then we commune together. Right. right. But only first being joined to Jesus in the, that forgiveness and then joined to one right. another. Who there. is truth? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Versus asking the question without a sense of irony, well, what is the truth? No, there's a little irony. I like that. Yeah. So then Nagel continues, it also shows what Christ means first of all. His body and blood are important, not the elements. We'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> Nor is the body the center of attention without the blood and so a body subserving the mystical body, mm. as I just we just talked about. Mm -hmm. The primary importance of Christ is now not in his mystical body, but in his body and blood given and shed for you for the remission of sins. Without that, there would be no forgiveness of sins. So we're not denying, and I don't think Dr. <clears throat> Nagel is, and Luther isn't either, that there is this mystical body of Christ, right, that, which we call the church. Correct. It's just not the primary thing. Well, and it's a result. Right, of right. Of his body and blood being given for the forgiveness of sins. Right. You know this better than I do. In the East, what is their position on the mystical body in relation to the sacrament? I do know that better than you do. I don't know that I know this at all. You were in Siberia. That's East. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a you little weird because I was with Lutherans in Siberia, and uh, there was some interaction, you know, with with Orthodoxy. But uh, hmm. most of them, you know, they came out of Orthodoxy, and so they or, or atheism, mm -hmm. one of the two, and thus, you know, they had strong convictions against it. So, I, hmm. so it didn't really come up. You know, okay. they they weren't those Lutherans in particular. I love my Siberian friends. They're not terribly ecumenical. They're friendly, but they're not ecumenical. Well, geography. <laughs> they have geography on their side. Well, no, and it's also <laughs> because you know Orthodoxy is is recognized by the state as official religion. Right. Right. So, um, you know, anytime you have a state church, I think you just pre it's not even skepticism. It's just mm -hmm. outright we're just not going to uh, right. You know, we can't be involved <clears throat> with them at all. Right. Yeah. It's like serving a man. <laughs> so the body is not the center of attention without the blood, and so a body subserving the mystical body. Meaning, 
There's no blood in the mystical body, so to speak. Right. Right. No blood because offered. It ha- because it lacks substance. Mm. It lacks physical form. Mm. Mm. Again, th- that that would be the argument for spiritual eating and drinking then. That's a good point. You don't really need a, you don't need the elements so long as you're there believing the words. This is Augustine's famous statement. As long as you believe the words, you have what they communicate or what they give. I've always assumed that the reason why medieval Rome and even to, uh, they've actually returned to this a little bit, um, that the Roman church doesn't offer the blood to the laity um, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of parishes, that the reason for that was just kind of um, practical. Like we don't want to spill it, or we don't want to spend, yes. you know, or we don't want to spend a lot of money on wine mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, but from what Dr. Nagel's saying here, they, I mean, they have that emphasis on mystical body over the actual body and blood given and shed. Yeah. So by not receiving the the chalice, not receiving the blood uh, of Jesus, I mean the the emphasis is being made on this on this on the body over the blood, right? Whereas the blood is shed for the forgiveness. I mean, it's shed. It's poured out. Well, because you're participating in the Passion of Christ on Good Friday, in the present tense, when you gather around the mystical body. Sounds kind of neat. Right, so you don't actually need to drink from the chalice in the present tense because you're at Calvary on Good Friday with him. It's called trans-temporal sacrifice. It's a mm. bloodless sacrifice, mm. which they get from the Greek mystery cults, and mm-hmm. it comes from mimesis and all that stuff. Good times, good times. So yes, the, the roots of the sacrifice of the mass are actually pagan. So the body, the center of attention without the blood, and so a body subserving the mystical body. The primary importance of Christ is now not his mystical body, but his body and blood given and shed for you for the remission of sins. Mm-hmm. In the present tense, by the way. Yeah. This is uh, Dr. Luther's confession concerning Christ's supper from 1528, right? Where he gets into this deep, hmm. where he's like basically saying, listen, this is it. This is my final statement. This is my manifesto on the sacrament of the altar. I think we talked about it in one of the last two episodes, right? That that Luther doesn't go after the sacrament of the altar initially mm-hmm. um, because the words are present, right? Right. There, there are some liturgical reforms that happen, um, but only, I, I think he gets drawn deeper in right as you yeah know. it's it's a lot deeper debate than even i think he's aware of when it kind of erupts right well it's kind of like you know initially the conflict with rome is over you know six or seven different you know church practices and one of them sure. is receiving communion of both kinds right right but in that conversation then they realize oh we're not even on the same page on something as simple as um you know who is jesus <laughs> right right and so, yeah, you get drawn into the debate as you, it, does it seem nitpicky? Maybe a little bit, um, but we're talking about here, mm, not an indifferent matter. No. This is the thing, you know, this is the right, sense of the, the life thing. of the congregation right. is around the re- receiving the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Right. And as I got this from, I stole this from Saze, Herman Saze, that, and I think I stole it from Alert in that same book, Eucharistic Fellowship, mm-hmm. and both, by the way, translated by Nagel. Yeah, we'll link um, it up. That the Lord's Supper is the heart of the church, the heart of the divine service, and the heart of the Christian life. Like, it is the the beating heart that pumps the lifeblood into the church, into the divine service, and into the life of the Christian. Mm. I think uh, Professor Schultz in his book, Mission, uh, mission at the cross or around the mission cross? from the cross from the cross yeah he talks about he picks up that line of we're poured into the church and poured out of the church and that we're poured into the sacrament and then poured out of the sacrament mm. 
That's a visual, yeah. That the mission of the church goes to the table and out from the table. Versus in, in Rome, everything goes to the altar and then comes out away from the altar. So you can go, for example, and build an altar in Tibet and sacrifice the mass and say, ta-da, there's the church. <laughs> Versus a Lutheran would say, no, you need the Lord's table with the body and blood present for you for the forgiveness of sins for there to actually be a church there. And not only a church, but the church. And this is Sazi's argument in the We Confess anthology on preaching the sacrament is, wherever, this, wherever the sacrament of the altar is celebrated, the entire church is present because all of Christ is present right there. And liturgically, we confess this with the Sanctus, right? Exactly. That you're not just a church. Or no, the preface, excuse me. But rather you are the church in that place at that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because of the verba. And we covered both of those texts in previous episodes. So, Correct. Uh, Eucharistic Fellowship, I'll link that up. And then also, This Is My Body uh, by Zasa. Yeah. yeah, This Is My Body is fantastic. Yeah, that was episode 65, I think. And I don't know Ehlert, though. Mm -hmm. So, actually, it wasn't that long well, ago. And, uh, this Is My Body is very helpful, I think, for modern Protestant, or for Lutherans in, in engaging modern Protestant theology of the sacrament because Sazi goes into Bart and he goes into the Protestant church mm. in Germany and they're turned towards a reformed understanding of the sacrament and so forth and how that, that brought the Lutherans in to that orbit. And so in the way that Luther is helpful for us in talking with Roman Catholics, Sazi is very important, I think, and helpful in talking to modern Protestants, reformed theology. Yeah, especially, yeah. Yeah. So Nagel continues then, while the testament is here uppermost, the mass is both testament and sign. The one speaks to the eyes, the other to the ears, so that faith may be incited. Again, eating is not dealt with. He talks a footnote from Luther. The one speaks to the eyes, the other to the ears, so that faith may be incited. But unlike the significance and the virchung, they do not depend on the faith of the celebrant or the recipient. Once again, if you want to have a conversation with yourself, <laughs> your friends, or your pastor, if you think that your faith makes the sacrament the sacrament, one, go back and read the large catechism on sure. the sacrament of the altar. Absolutely. Yeah. It's literally the first paragraph. Right. <laughs> Two, he says it clear, and he's getting that straight up from Luther, that the sacrament does not depend on the faith of the one celebrant, celebrating, that's your pastor, or the recipient, that'd be you. Both stand over against what a man may claim as his doing, that is the verba, the work of Christ. Both stand over and against what a man may claim as his doing, prayers, works, and sacrifices. The former descends, the latter ascends. Making the mass a good work and sacrifice is contradiction of both the testament and sign. Both that. are God's gift to man, not man's to God. Wow. Right? Yeah, this direction of worship is a theme with Dr. Nagel. We see it in the Huge. introduction to Lutheran worship, right? Uh, that hymnal, uh, which is great. You know, um, God gives, we receive. Basically, right. there would be a ways to summarize it. And right. uh, so, everything in the church is oriented not around us giving, but are rather around us receiving. Right. You know, His Word, His promise, namely right. forgiveness in Jesus. And spoiler alert: if you do read my book, the chapter on worship. Straight up stole it from Luther, Sazé, and Nagel. <laughs> when I explained the difference between sacrifice and sacrament in regards to worship. Your book being, remind oh, us. Oh, I have a book? <laughs> I don't know. Did we announce it on this show? I don't feel like we did. I think we referenced it. It's called Crucifying Religion. It's available on Amazon. Good. I'll link it up. Point being, though, we talk about this kind of in our just off-air conversation. 
before modernity took effect after the enlightenment being novel being original was actually considered a vice it's not actually considered a good thing so that's why for us reading dr nagel is so helpful because he is simply proofing dr luther dr luther is proofing his spiritual fathers you go back paul is proofing the prophets and the patriarchs and, and the psalmist and so forth right that when if we're truly honest, nothing that I have ever thought, said, or did is original. Nothing. It's all been other people, whether it's your parents, family members, your neighbor kids, teachers at school, your pastor and <laughs> Christians at church. Everything that you, that makes you you, as far as your thinking, your acting, and your your speaking, you got from somewhere else. And for me personally, my opinion is there's a great freedom then in being able to say, listen, I wrote a book. My book is essentially a book report on all of my favorite theologians over the last 22 years. And me saying, let me, I've lived with these guys for 22 years. Let me right. condense all this down for you to read. And hopefully you get something out of it. You get excited by it. And then if you come back at me, I can say, hey, go read Nagel on this. Go read Saze, We Confess. Go read Dr. Luther, Confession Concerning Christ's Supper. So you can have the conversation with these guys. And hopefully then you come out on the other side saying, as a Christian, as just a person, I just feel or think or or act in such a way now that I'm just more focused on Christ and the cross. I'm more focused on the sacraments, more focused on, you know, hunting for gospel preaching, mm -hmm. living in my baptismal vocation in such a way that I'm aware of the, the enormity and the immensity of what Christ is doing for me in these things. But ultimately, as the Formula Concord points out, this is for the comfort and consolation of troubled consciences. Why else would you do it? Well, ego. I suppose. <laughs> well, and I think it's for power control, right? Absolutely. That's the other you thing can you do, can do. Right. It's a, it's a self-preservation project, so to speak. You can justify your existence by saying, look, I'm an expert on this. Listen to me. Pay me. Versus, at least for me, pastorally speaking, I would argue it's the simile. Yes, you do it selfishly because you actually think you have something to say. Mm. But also, too, I've been with my congregation for 11 years. I've been in the church for 22 years. And all of these questions have come up over the years, and now I get to ask them as a pastor. And I want to have an answer for that very specific purpose. I want you to be able to go to your work in peace and live a quiet life in, in love and charity and faith. And as a consequence, be consoled. Yeah, might be as well make it available to others. Right, exactly. Why hoard it? Why keep it a secret? I think that's, that's Gnosticism. It's like my coffee. I mean, you could get coffee that's as good or maybe even better. No, you folks. can't. Shut up. No, you can't. Okay, That's a fine. lie. Whatever. Keyberry. Regardless, um, no, it's my coffee. That's why you get it. It's good, and it's for me. Right? Right. Okay. It just so happens that you get to share it with the world. I know. I could ship worldwide. That's true. Peaberry, baby. <laughs> the best. It's the best. <laughs> I'm Ethiopian today, by the way. Oh, so good. I had it twice this morning. Sweet. But we digress. Mm. We'll link up to Gillespie's coffee in the okay. show notes as I always. I link too. to your book. I guess I can link to my <laughs> coffee too. All right, there you go. There we go. Self-promotion, self-promotion. Back to Nagel then, what really matters. If the testament is rightly received, then so also the sign. So Pastor Riley, can I use grape juice and goldfish instead of bread and wine? No. Like that Why? That banned Super Bowl commercial with Doritos and Mountain Dew. Right. The answer is no. But why? I thought we had the Christian freedom to know. On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and then he took the wine. Why? Those are the signs that God himself chose to communicate. Therefore, who am I to say, I think we can do better? Or 
um, you know, that was just a, a contextual problem, right? Right. Did God that, really say, though? <laughs> that God had not yet invented pasteurization for us, and so... <laughs> right, I forgot about that. That's right, yeah. Now he's now that's been invented, so um, um, now we can do better. Right. I've but, actually read articles written by Reformed folks arguing that not all grapes were fermented before they were served. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, doesn't work that way. Right. Right, no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Exactly. These are freshly squeezed grapes. Okay. Right. I guess. Yeah. Jesus just picked up a bunch of grapes and just squeezed them and just let the, the juice run oh, between that's his more fingers dramatic. in the cup. Right? This is my blood. Like pouring it out of a wineskin or something. Yeah, right. Oh, well. Kind of blows up all the different analogies he uses, though. <laughs> Never mind uh, earlier in his ministry, water and wine. Okay. Right. Yeah, he starts his ministry by creating it and ends his ministry by serving it. And everything in between is about my blood. Mm. So if the testament is rightly received, the sign is rightly received. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not it's not either or. It's not believe and be baptized as if they're they're two different things. Ah, right, yeah. It's a conjunction. And is a conjunction. It joins two things together. In receiving the words, you receive the gift. Well, and this is also yes. a big deal with medieval Catholicism. And it's still yes. to this day you have yes. adoration chapels where you can go and just look at the body alone no mm-hmm. blood and that somehow benefits you apart from the word right you're like mm-hmm. what right it's special bread body now mm-hmm. and it does things outside of god's word that you're telling or at least you tell me it, it's doing that's right bizarre um and it's also um, just you don't have any confidence right no that's the point well i have confidence in my belief that this is somehow useful or helpful. Yeah, or, but it's or, my or belief. It's not actually right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> I have belief in my belief. So far as that goes, I believe. You no, know, uh, Rene Girard wrote a book called "The Violence and the Sacred." It used to be really popular, where he actually examines this move from blood sacrifice to bloodless sacrifice, and he does talk about the church in the sense then, and he talks about Abraham and Isaac too. Mm. In fact, he's got a book entirely devoted to ancient Near Eastern blood sacrifice where it comes from, why it was practiced. And I think Girard was one of the people who kind of puts the forward the thesis that a lot of these, these sacrificial cultuses were based on a misinterpretation or a mishearing of the Abrahamic story. Because Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, he's going to sacrifice him, then God provides the ram, and people heard that and went, oh, so if I kill what is most pure and sacred to me, the gods will reward me. Right. Makes yes, sense. Yes, but no. Right, yeah, it makes <laughs> sense. Again, you ever play, what's that game, Grapevine or whatever it's called? Telephone game? Yeah, telephone game, yeah. Mm. So basically, it's just a really bad interpretation of a great proclamation. So the testament is rightly received, the sign is rightly received. Nor is the traffic only one way. While the testament informs the sign, the sign in turn guarantees the testament, as also does the death of Christ. You kind of need Jesus to die for his will to go into effect. You kind of need Jesus to rise from the dead... That was kind of the point with the sacrifice of the mass too, is that it would benefit you not receiving it in your mouth, just hearing the words. Yes. Apart from actually receiving the sign. Right, like, right which they got from Augustine. Oh, okay. If you hear the words in faith, you have what they communicate in, in the sign. You have everything. You got it if you hear it through faith. So Nagel's saying for Luther, and I think for us too then, um, the, you, it's not either or. Correct. Receiving the sign apart from the word does you no know, benefit. Right. You know, and receiving right. the word apart from the sign 
right. is the same. It's not right. that he didn't die for you for the forgiveness of sins, but he's located it here in this bread and wine for you. Right. Like I said, it's the same as saying, believe and be baptized, and then saying, well, I believe, why do I need to be baptized too? Mm. Yeah, that's, I, like op- that's like opening a gift at Christmas, and there's a hundred other gifts in a tree, and saying, but I've already opened a gift, why do I need to open all the other ones? That's one of my favorite stories then is Philip and the eunuch, where it's like, I believe yes. and there's water, what's to prevent me from being, being baptized? And that it's like, okay, that's one way it works, and sometimes it works yes. the other way. There's baptism, right. you know, parents bring a child, um, there's no outward confession of faith, because obviously it's a child, right? Right. Um, and there's faith given. It, right. It's, the two go together, they're not... Right. They're not one or the other, or it's not a it's not an order of operation. I guess is how no, you want to and put it. Luther, I think, anyways, because I teach this to my confirmands in the small catechism. He's pretty clear about this mm-hmm. in his explanation of the sacrament of the altar. So that even my confirmands, by the end of our first class on the sacrament of the altar, they grasp this: the words without the bread and wine are just words. The bread and wine without the words is just bread and wine. You need both. So therefore, if you go to church and you see the bread and wine up on the altar, and the pastor then says. Jesus died a long time ago for the forgiveness of our sins, so we're going to get together around this altar, and we're going to eat this bread as a sign of his body, and we're going to drink this blood as a sign of his, or this wine as a sign of his blood. And if you believe this, then you X, Y, and Z. They get it right away, It's because it's very A plus B equals C. The word plus the red wine received through faith equals the sacrament. Mm-hmm. But as Nagel points out, as Luther points out, you can take faith out of that equation because the thing it creates the faith that it demands. Yeah, and I think that's an important note is that um, it's it's probably only a subtext. It's not so overt in our tradition, but there are. I mean, I've encountered this pastorally. People say, "Well, I believe it is," and that's yeah. that, that's what makes it what it is. Right. That's like, all that matters. Um, no, actually, it matters what Jesus says it is. Right. Without that, what is your faith? You're, you're exactly just trusting in a sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, to convey something of a higher reality. No, you need actually Jesus' word or there is no faith. Right. We're surrounded by signs that we don't trust in yeah, all the time. Too. Well, because we don't necessarily have words. Correct. A stop sign, for uh-huh. example, a very just blunt example. Do you believe that you will be arrested if you roll through the stop sign? No. That's why you do it. If you actually believed in the sign, you would come to a full stop, left, right, then left again, then pull out into the intersection. Mm. But you don't really believe what that sign represents. Otherwise, you wouldn't roll through the stop sign, for example. Well, we're, we've been studying Gospel of John for adult class on uh, my parish. And uh, you see like Nicodemus or the woman at the well. That's where we are. We're only in chapter four. Been there for months. But regardless. Yeah. Um, and they don't get it. And you're like, well, why don't they get it? You know, like Nicodemus. Like, I have to be born again. Yes, why don't they get it? <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, and it's actually because they haven't yet... Had, he hasn't died for them, right? You know, as far as the order of operation, the cross fills those things with their meaning, right? Jesus' death for them, the testament actually. Then, um, then they backfill basically the story, like oh, as Paul does, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, now we get it, mm-hmm. right? But without that, without the uh, the content of faith, then Correct. what kind of faith can you have, right? Well, he's a would, wonder worker, right? He turns water into Philip wine. What would Philip say to the Ethiopian eunuch then, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, here's some water, what's to stop me from baptizing you? We talked about this on the show, I think, where, um, the, yeah, the eunuch is the one who demands baptism from Isaiah's right. scroll. Yeah. Um, somehow, How Philip, do you get there? Philip must, <laughs> he must have backfilled baptism into Isaiah, which is beautiful. Right. It's yes. there uh, through the cross, which had just happened. Exactly. Uh, I'd love to have heard that, that sermon, right? 
Like, right. oh, I see the connections you're making. That's right. pretty awesome. Yeah, good job. <laughs> right, because, well, how do you read the text on the suffering servant in Isaiah without reading the cross? Mm-hmm. Correct. And how do you then read the cross without the resurrection and the go mm-hmm. and baptize all people? I'm just speculating, obviously, but... Well, there's living waters coming out of the temple in Isaiah. There's living waters is, coming out of the temple yeah, in Isaiah, too. Yeah, it's beautiful, a picture of baptism. So I, and, and John yeah. riffs on that, too. So I, I like your explanation better. That it's just, it's crazy There's less talk. steps. No, that there's living waters coming out of the temple, and therefore, boom. Because the eunuch is coming from Jerusalem. He's coming from the temple. I know. And he's not allowed to go into the temple, because you look in Leviticus at why eunuchs aren't allowed into the mm-hmm. kingdom. You know, and therefore, he's coming from the temple, where he did not receive life and yet then out there in the wilderness next to an irrigation ditch or whatever it was yeah there it is living water yeah yeah because the temple is jesus now because the temple is jesus and since we are the temple of the holy spirit living rocks being built into a holy temple oh now now we're just we're just reading into the text now that's sarcasm by the way listeners forgive me for seeing the bible as a whole (laughs) (laughs) so here we go with nagel again the distinction between them and they're flowing together. Oh, there's a flowing. There's Testament a, there's a sign, reference by the way. right there. Both the distinction between them and they're flowing together have their goal in the assured imparting of forgiveness and all God's grace won for us by Christ on Calvary and given in the mass, as surely as the words say and bestow and as surely as the body and blood of Christ are there given. The body and blood of the mass are the same body and blood as were given on Calvary for the remission of our sins. They are given in the mass so that with sins forgiven, we may be saved. Given and shed for you for the remission of sins refers to both Calvary and the Mass. These are not the same, and yet they have the same treasure, achieved by the one and surely imparted with the other, and communicated by the words. Hmm. And this is this is straight up Luther, right? It is straight up Luther. But then Nagel himself, you know, says, you know, what good is Calvary? Yeah, uh, unless it is given to you now in the present tense. Correct. Because you can't go back to Calvary, but he mm-hmm. but he comes to you from Calvary. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dang, that's so good. It is. It is. There may be no gap between Calvary, the Mass, and in parentheses the sign or the sacrament, and the words. There may be no gap between Calvary, the Mass, and the words. Time and space are. Not exactly the, now yeah it's, it's, this again is you know when people ask when i say why do you say that for god all time is now where do you get that from well this is one of those places sure and just this fact that for god yesterday today and they're all the same well or, i mean jesus says it uh, yes the hour the hour is coming and it is now you're like wait yes. a minute which is it right exactly it's, it's coming meaning his cross or it's right. now i'm right. speaking to you right here it's the same Right. I'm the same Jesus, the Jesus who, who's speaking to you now is the Jesus who died for you. Yeah. And if you think, if, if this pickles your brain, go look at Greek verb tenses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's always a great time for those of us who have three tenses, past, present, and future, and then you read Greek. And it's like, what? Yeah. This is nuts. But the Greeks, they got it too, though. Chirotic time, chronological time, and so forth and so on. Mm. There may be no gap between Calvary the Lord's Supper, and the words. And the, all the words, too. I mean, I would say, like, when he says at the cross, it is finished, we we mm-hmm. say those words in the present tense. Correct. It's still finished. It continues Cor- to be yeah, finished. exactly. It's a perfect verb. Mm-hmm. Wow. All are, oh, they are distinguished and yet complementary. 
Again, we distinguish between the historicity of Calvary, the Mass, and the words. However, in the actual effect, in what they actually do, there is no distinction. So we are chirotic time and chronological time at the same, yes, are running yes, simultaneous. Yeah, Jesus was born in time. Yes. Right? At a very particular time and place, <laughs> uh, under a certain governor. And, right, yeah, he has a birthday and a clear. death day, and yes, yes. That's why Luke writes what he writes. Mm -hmm. And yet he is present for us in the bread and the wine mm. simultaneously. So yes, he appears to Abraham at the tree of Mamre. He is born to Mary and he is for us in the sacrament simultaneously. And he's speaking to you now in preaching. Correct. Thus says the Lord. Hmm. All are Christ's and do his reconciling and saving work. They are his work and gifts from him to sinners and only to sinners. He earns forgiveness for them, promises and imparts it. The promise is sufficient for imparting, but he does more. Whew. By the way, for listeners at home um, who don't have this in front of them, every sentence or maybe even phrases footnoted. within the sentence is footnoted to Luther. Yes. So, yeah, this is quite amazing. Yeah, every single sentence is footnoted. Right. So... so if I had to speculate, it's because he knew what he was writing was provocative. Nagel, that is. Well, and he I has think... to defend every sentence because this is a doctoral dissertation, so he has to defend this. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying anything new here. Right. If, when I'm saying this is what Luther taught, here, citation, citation, citation. And where did he do his graduate work? Do you remember? Was it oh, Oxford? I looked... What's that? Was it in Oxford House? No. Um, no, before no, that. I, I looked this up. And now I forget. I'm just curious if he did it where there were a majority of non-Lutherans present. Yeah, it was it was European. So I'm looking it up here. Da, 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 da. Born in China, son of New Zealand Lutheran missionary, passionary, uh, missionary pastor, Australian mother, grew up in Australia, attended Adelaide for mm -hmm. bachelor's from University of Adelaide, then became an instructor. Coming to America, received his MDiv from Concordia Seminary in 53, and then accepted the call to um, England, uh, mm -hmm. Luther Tyndale Memorial Church in London, where he was right. ordained. Then he matriculated at Cambridge. Oh. 57, that's right. Okay. And then served as pastor there at Resurrection mm -hmm. after receiving his PhD from Cambridge, then was there the preceptor at Westfield House before he came. I wonder, yeah. And I wonder if that doesn't have something to do with this too, though. The Cambridge connection? I think so. That, yeah, that he's, he's, I mean, this is as you would, this is as Lutheran as it gets, we would argue. And yet he's at Cambridge. How many Lutherans are on the faculty at Cambridge amongst his readers and advisors? I don't know. Probably not many. I mean, there's Anglicans that were probably interested in Luther, although that came more later. Right. But I'm just saying within the Anglican Episcopalian tradition, the Presbyterian tradition in London, or in England, I'm sorry, this is going to be very provocative. Because mm. he's, especially this stuff where it's, again, so located in the elements, and you're not making, there's no spiritual eating here, for example. No, because he's undermining not only, you know, by echoing Luther, he's undermining both um, Rome and uh, the Protestantism. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think that's a part of it too. It's not just defending his thesis, but defending his thesis against people that this may be completely alien to. Right, and it's going to sound like, oh, I don't know, gibberish? <laughs> it sounds like the rantings of a madman. <laughs> right. And it, the accusation I can hear it, because um, I've heard it before, it's just too simple. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, it, you know, yep. if, it's, it, if it's a mystery, then it needs to be more complicated. Like, no, Correct. it could be a mystery because it's 
because it's how it's too good to be true. You know, right. it seems too good to be true. It isn't. Right. Yeah. So to continue then, <laughs> on account of the weakness and nature of men who live within five senses, he gives the sign of his body and blood under the bread and wine, which we've talked mm -hmm. about. Right. Here is given a sure hold that nothing can shake. It is given in a way that makes it clear that it is for each individual and also for sharing, fellowship, and mutual help. Good. Yeah. It is given in a way that man can bear, which we talked about. Here, believe these words. What if I can't? Mm. Not today, not after the week I've had, not after I just buried so-and-so, not after I just lost my job or got divorced or was diagnosed with this, this terrible disease. What now? Well, here mm. you go. Well, and the other aspect here is that forgiveness, share it. forgiveness of sins mm -hmm. um, is unbelievable. That God would actually right. set aside your sins right? in all well, sins. one, your sin has to be revealed to you as sin, mm -hmm. so that Christ might be revealed to you as the Lamb of God who dies for your sin, so that you might receive the promise in faith that this is for you for the forgiveness of sin. Yeah. What I'm arguing is that's all a miracle. Yes, 100%. That is literally the same on the sign, mm. which is translated sadly as miracle. Mm. So the point being then, two... Yeah, okay, believe the words and you have what they say. Okay, how do I share that belief? Well, I can't because it's personal and it's internal. Two, how do I have fellowship then with others who believe what I believe? Mm -hmm, right. As you pointed out and as I've heard too, well, pastor, this is between me and God. You're just there to give it to me. Is that fellowship? Hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then thirdly, how are we mutually helping one another to say, well, just believe what I believe? Yeah. So it's possible to overemphasize the the fellowship aspect, right? And right. say, well, yep. it's, it's it's actually about us sharing one cup and eating one loaf. Correct. Well, like Luther does say that, um, but that's pretty early in Luther's ministry, by the way. It's the fifteen nineteen, mm -hmm. I think the quote comes from. Um, that's used in our hymnal and our liturgy for mm, corporate confession and absolution. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not the main thing. That isn't to say it doesn't happen. It isn't part right. of it, right? So, and that's what Dr. Nagel's here careful to mm -hmm. articulate from right. Luther is that yes, you receive it individually for you, right? Singular, but corporately, simultaneously, but also for you again. For that us. word complementary. Mm -hmm. This is why when I've, I think I've said this on the show before is, and I learned this through listening to confessions, which is when I pr preach the sermon, and this Sunday everything seems to be going all right. So hmm. you hear the gospel for you, for the forgiveness of sins, you say, amen, good job. But next Sunday you come to church and it's been the complete opposite kind of a week. And I preach the sermon and I preach the gospel for you for the forgiveness of sins and it goes right over your head to the person behind you and to the people around you, but it's not for you. You reject it because you say, listen, if he knew the kind of week that I had yeah. or if he knew what I did on Tuesday, he would not say those words. Because reasons. Because reasons. But when you come and kneel at the rail and I put the wafer in your mouth and I hold the chalice up to your lips and I say the words of Christ to you mm -hmm. and declare the forgiveness of sins to you. Now, there's no doubt that this is for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's why Luther includes it in the catechism. Again, there's nothing original about what I'm saying. I learned it from Luther. Mm -hmm. But that's the point is, it's for the sharing, the fellowship and the mutual help. And that comes through the verba, the word, the promise being attached to the sign. That's why I think the, the practice of kneeling together at a rail is is very, um, it just conveys this, right? I mean, it's right, not the it's only option, 
but it, to but, use the word sign, it's significant. It is. It is. I mean, you're next to other people, maybe people that you know normally you wouldn't be all that terribly friendly with, <laughs> right? Even. No, but that yeah. being reconciled to Christ, um, that also then works out in the fruit of being reconciled to one another. Yes. And again, it's given in a way that you can bear. Hmm. For your confidence, you think that makes people uncomfortable just to say, oh, well, how do I know I'm forgiven, Pastor? Well, I said it to you. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's just you. Like, right. and, and then ultimately, I, I don't know, I know you do this too. It's like, you have the body and blood in your mouth. Right. And this yeah. is what he says about word. that body and blood. Yeah. Um, I'm the instrument. That's it. I think that still makes people pretty uncomfortable because it's um, it's about it. Well, God literally knows you in the, in the supper. Right. Right. It's as intimate closer, as it gets. Yeah. Now he's closer to you than your next breath. Mm-hmm. But also, I think the language of instrumentality offends us because agency allows choice. It allows mm. activity. It allows me to be in control of the situation. So when I, as a pastor, reject agency in relation to the ministry and emphasize the language of instrumentality, I think the people that are on the other end of that who are hearing that, makes it makes them very uncomfortable then to hear, well, it's not your words, pastor, but rather it's the words of Christ, which are you know, given through you by the Spirit. Mm. I think, That's, yeah, I think that maybe is true in a sense that you know, we're all about programs and, and policies and, you know, we're trying to get, trying to get a hold on things, right, in our lives mm-hmm. and, and right. even in our churches. And, yeah. and Jesus comes along and says, um, no, you actually don't need any of that. Here's exactly what to do. And here's right. how you do it. Take bread, yep. take wine, say this. And, and I've said it and uh, commanded it in a way that is easy for you to bear. Yeah. Some bread, some wine, a preacher. Uh, it's, and it's not, um, it's, it's, you can't really fudge it. I mean, it, it's no. very, he's very clear as to what he means for the yes. forgiveness of, of sins, right? Yes. Take and drink. It's not, mm. it's not just this cup is, is my blood for right. the forgiveness of sins. No, he says, first he says, take and drink it. Yes. Which is um, pretty uh, direct forward. Right. Yes. Very much so. Mm. It's an imperative too. Yeah. And here's the, and here's the key point. It is given in a way that man can bear it. Why? Because no creature can endure before God's great majesty. That's why he comes to us in meekness, humility. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if he doesn't give us his body and blood under the bread and wine, what is left to us? God's great majesty, the God of the whirlwind who speaks to Job. I could see that. that would be a great Christmas sermon too. Yes. I think you've you've preached a sacrament at Christmas, which mm-hmm. seems obvious. Um, but uh, you know that Jesus being born in the manger. Why do people love that more than maybe even Easter? Why do they like Christmas more than Easter? Because they can bear. Um, God, yes. you know, who comes completely vulnerable as a child. Right. right. Uh, but to bear him on the cross, mm, that is a scandal. That is offensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that is the glory of God revealed. Ooh. Right. Mm. That's interesting. I haven't really thought yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, well, and to build off what you just said then, yeah, the humanity of Christ is the covering that <laughs> enables men to live there as once the high priest did in the cloud of incense. Man lives in apprehensibles. God deals with him accordingly. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did you hesitate there for a second? Don't worry. I'll come to you. Mm-hmm. Who would dare to believe that God is merciful to him unless this is vouched for by the word of God and the external sign of the sacraments? There you go. Mm-hmm. Man quails before the magnitude, not only of God's majesty, but also of his mercy, of which he is so utterly unworthy. Word and sign vouch for that mercy, but primarily the word. There is no tension or threat of displacement between them. 
they strengthen each other. Good. Yeah. This cannot be otherwise, for Christ informs them both, as we noted. This bread, Mm -hmm. this wine, take and eat, take and drink. He doesn't say, hey, here's a suggestion. Maybe use some bread and wine, maybe say these words, but as long as your heart is pure and your intent is right, you know, I think you got this. No, he doesn't say that at all. No. He's pretty definite. No, and there's all sorts of, you know, uh, sayings from earlier in his ministry before uh, the institution on on the night he was betrayed. But also you've got the Old Testament text, you know, with both bread and wine. And you're like, oh, manna, oh, uh, a feast of well-aged wine. Oh, I'm making some connections here. Right. Hopefully. Yeah, you're not, uh, it's not innovative. Mm -hmm. Maundy Thursday is not an innovative night. (laughs) <laughs> no. No, it's actually the culmination of everything that he's been saying. Right. Mm. And this is a key point, too, that you allude to, is that outside of Christ, the Bible is just a series of different accounts of people's experience of God in different times and places and contexts. There might be a moral sometimes. Sure. Or, yeah. you know, a thread, God loves you, or God is working for you. You might be able towards to find some, some like, analogy to your life. Yeah. Yeah, especially in, like, wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. But in Christ, the whole Bible is literally that, a whole. We see it as a whole. It's almost like being plucked up out of the woods and being elevated to 10,000 feet. Right. And then being able to see the whole forest and see your spot in that forest. Right. Which, which is the profound confession that um, Christ is the word incarnate. Yes. And by word, it is the scriptures. Yeah. You know, the whole of the Old Testament, prophets, right. Moses, Psalms. Right. Proverbs. Yeah, we often miss that. We look for the prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament, but we ignore the fact that the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who speaks those prophecies to his people. Mm-hmm. And tells us his, his the histories of his people. Correct. Which um, is helpful then, because you're like, oh, is he? why is he telling us this history? Mm-hmm. If it's a person telling the history, and if it's right. one person, namely Jesus, right. who's telling right. all of that, um, you know, I, we were having this conversation on Sunday because uh, two weeks ago on Bible class, there was a question about, you know, whether a text can have a higher meaning than just its bare literal meaning. And, uh, you know, and I just said <laughs> this last Sunday, well, why do you tell a story? Well, just right. to tell a story? Oh, just tell me a story. No, you always have intent and motive, right? Right. You're like, I, you know, you want to convey a moral. Um, you want to draw out a, as an allegory, you know, like a parable. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe it's an analogy. I mean, this these those are medieval categories too, but but they're they're still true. That's why we tell right. stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to get something out of it, literally. Right. Yeah. And Jesus does too. He has a there's a point. Right. And <laughs> so, this goes back to your earlier point about mystery, which is the entire Old Testament is mystery until Christ. Mm, this true. goes back to Paul the and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and why Nicodemus and others didn't know him. Yeah. Until it was revealed in the resurrection with the baking, breaking of the bread on the way with the people on the way to Emmaus. I would, it's all of it. I mean, I would agree with our friend who argues that like even Genesis and the account of creation doesn't really make sense until the liturgical um, tradition of the church is instituted. Well, right. Yeah, right. Because one, that entire chapter is set up liturgically. You just go talk to an Orthodox rabbi. And two, the word is what creates everything. Well, and here's the funny point. They don't actually keep the Sabbath until after Sinai. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. They've been doing seven-day weeks for the mm-hmm. whole day. Yeah. Did they even recognize it as seven days? Hmm. I don't even know. But, right. but the idea of a day of rest of a Sabbath, the way of you know resting in God's word, 
Um, right. A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years That's actually given because of trespasses, by the way. Correct. Hmm. Funny how that works too. Yeah. It's not, it's beautiful. Yeah. So strictly speaking then, the scripture has only one sacrament, Christ, and three sacramental signs. Mm-hmm. In the mass, there are Christ's words and the confirming sign of his body and blood. And so this sacrament is Ein Feltz in Christum Gegrunt. Uh, my German's lacking here. Then I'm really? reading the, I'm throw reading, that back I'm on reading me. down the bottom and Luther throws in the German in the midst of a Latin sentence. Yes, of course he does. want to do. <laughs> oh, that's real helpful. Show Thanks, off. Luther. Yeah. Said in the context of absolution in an earlier updated sermon that would fit better Undated. chronologically in the previous chapters. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Nagel. The word is dominant. This, however, mm-hmm. does not there. mean any extrusion of Christ or of his body and blood. Mm. Extrusion. I love that word. Yeah, it's like pasta. Yeah. Yeah, so the the word doesn't push the bread and wine out of the bread and out of the elements, and the bread and wine don't push Christ's word out of it's remember in, in transubstantiation talk, it ceases to be bread and wine and right. it's flesh and blood. In the Protestant side, it's it's never flesh and blood, it's just always bread and wine. We tend to try and extrude Christ, literally press him out mm-hmm. from the or, sacrament. Or press him through it. Yeah. Or press him through it. Right, yeah. Filter him through that sieve. And Luther's point is, is. <laughs> yeah, is it's, means it's, is. It's a pretty straightforward verb. Um, yeah. Yeah. It does what it says. Mm-hmm. You want to stop there? Yeah, that's, that's a good about place. 57, give our people a break. Yeah, that's a good we place. We will uh, more than likely come back to this next week. Yes. This is a brilliant <laughs> word. And it, yes, it so, is. So now we know this was done under the um, auspices of his studies at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. So that would be the next question. Does it say it in like the introduction? Who was his advisor? Mm, I bet advisors? you Because uh, those Maybe will... Since, yeah. That usually, say, since we talked about it so much now, we could jump forward to the threat of mysticism. Mm, yeah. And actually talk about what happens when we kind of spiritualize the sacrament. Yeah, because I think that's a natural tendency. I mean, yeah. obviously it's it's natural to just reject that Christ can be present under bread and wine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So then, what do we do? We go to the next level and say, "Well, yeah, no, he. Well, since he said he is, he must be there by some other way." Right, and that's the damned aliosis that Luther <laughs> refers to when he's debating with um, Zwingli. Right. That Zwingli has to metaphysically tinker, as Luther says, with the sacrament to make it make sense. Yeah, but it's a, the problem it's, is you can't tinker with God's word; it just is. Let's see, introduction. Nope, this is just a Luther introduction. It doesn't tell us who his advisor is there. Hmm. Hmm. I'll have to do some work on that. Yeah, okay. We'll find it. We will find it. Bibliography. No, doesn't say. Somebody knows. Yeah. We'll figure it out right into the show. There you go. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time and your attention. We know it's valuable to you, so we hope that uh, we have made this worth your time. Come back next week, and we'll read Nagel all over again. Hope you're enjoying this series, and uh, yeah, see you.